Welcome to Areski's podcast, where we discuss the present, the past, and maybe the future of North Africa and the Sahel region. My name is Areski Daoud, and I am principal analyst at Mea Risk LLC, and I'm also the founder and editor of the North Africa Journal. Now, join me every week for a new episode that addresses the root causes of instability in the region and beyond, and let's see if we can find solutions to complex crises. Welcome again. Hello and welcome to this week in review episode uh, where we will be looking at some of the events affecting the geopolitics of North Africa and the Sahel. This is Areski Daoud. I am the principal analyst at uh, Mea Risk LLC. I'm also the editor of the North Africa Journal and today is Saturday the 11th of March 2023. In this episode I will be covering the week ending the 10th of March 2023. <coughs> in the Sahel the general state of insecurity as well as the atmosphere of transition due to the takeover of power by various military juntas there have had a, a dominant play in in the sahelian context in north africa broadly the dominant story may very well be tunisia again with the president there increasing his control uh, of the government expanding assaults on human rights and making mistakes that could cost tunisia billions in lost loan opportunities. Well, let me begin with the Sahel, where the junta in Mali has announced that it will delay a constitutional referendum meant to bring back civilian control of government. <clears throat> Initially, the junta has made the decision to organize a referendum on March 19, 2023, that is a few days from now, but the government spokesman there said the, the vote will be slightly, slightly, quote-unquote, slightly postponed to February 2024. Uh, I'm not going to criticize the junta uh, for postponing the event because it would have made no sense to go ahead with it uh, on March 19th. And that's because a draft constitution was only made public after February the 19th. Uh, that's not enough time to organize an election, obviously. So, <clears throat> what's in the draft constitution? As far as I know, the president will see expanded power. The real chief executive will be the president and not the prime minister or the, the, the government. As such, the president will be the one to set up policies. He will appoint a cabinet to execute. The prime minister and the government will serve the president at will and, 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 and he can fire them anytime. Uh, what's more alarming though, is that the president will be able to also dissolve the National Assembly, the well, Parliament, so there will be um, no counterbalancing power of checks and balances and check the executive branch. To me, a key factor of Mali's instability will remain if this constitution is voted. This is because the central government in Bamako, that is in the south of the country, will control all the levers of power while the, ma the major communities outside the capital have called for more autonomy or at least uh, have asked for allowing local elected leaders to make decisions that would affect those communities. The Tuaregs in the north will be the most affected eventually. Remember that a civil war 
uh, in Mali has been ongoing for years precisely because the northerners want to be stakeholders in their own sphere, in their own lives. <clears throat> this draft constitution does not allow regional autonomy and therefore we expect that any reconciliation efforts with the north are likely to fail going forward if that constitution stands. But other groups are calling this draft constitution as weak. Uh, take the religious and conservative groups. They have made a lot of noise against the draft because it says Mali is a, a secular nation. There are also contradictions. For example, the draft, uh, the draft constitution considers any coup as quote-unquote a crime. But the others say the leaders of the most recent coups are forgiven. Now on the ground, we noticed uh, the Malian junta has been making sustained efforts to ratchet up its communication strategy around its counterterrorism initiatives. Clearly the regime is looking to showcase the, the progress that it is making, uh, rightly or allegedly so, in its counterinsurgency campaign and has been eager to get praises for its operations. Earlier this week, the Malian military with the acronym of FAMA, F-A-M-A, uh, said that 153 quote-unquote terrorists had been eliminated during various security operations carried out during the month of February. There were, according to them, 84 offensive missions against insurgents and reported being the target of six IED attacks, 16 direct attacks and, and one complex attack, whatever that means. <clears throat> On the other hand, though, Fama also acknowledged the death of seven soldiers uh, during uh, these operations in February, generally through the detonation of uh, improvised explosive devices uh, or direct ambushes. Uh, the populations in vulnerable regions remain the target of attacks, and we note the kidnapping of uh, two workers uh, employed by the International uh, Committee of the, of the Red Cross. Uh, that was last Saturday. The pair was abducted between Gao and Kidal, very dangerous areas in the north of the country. Last month, a uh, World Health Organization doctor uh, who had been abducted in Mali in late January was freed. In May 2022, three Italians and a Togolese national uh, were kidnapped in uh, the, the, the southeastern area of the country. So, kidnappings happen in Mali uh, more often and maybe a lucrative business uh, for those engaged in, in this kind of business. Now a neighboring country Burkina Faso also looks pretty shaky. The country there is reproducing the same scenario of instability as in Mali. Uh, Burkina's north and parts of the center east regions are now under curfew as a response to growing uh, insurgent attacks. <clears throat> now the curfew uh, presumably prevents any movement of people between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. until March 31st with the purpose of allowing the military to secure the regions bordering Mali. Now, the curfew is also in effect in, uh, in Nekulpe Logo, uh, that's a province uh, close to Ghana and Togo, uh, as well as in the central northern BAM region, as these uh, decisions may be uh, logical as insurgent assaults have, have been increasing this year killing dozens of civilians and members of the security forces. Now, in the Maghreb region, Tunisia sadly uh, remains uh, the, the central topic. It's been relentlessly making the, the front pages of the news for many weeks now and even months. Whatever President Kais Saeed does, 
it seems to end into a storm of controversy. Uh, last week, the president made uh, incendiary comments against sub-Sahara African migrants, um, which he claims that their presence uh, represented a, a criminal plot to change the country's demographic makeup, according to AFP. That's a pretty bad, bad statement. And yet, Tunisia has only 21,000 undocumented migrants compared to 12 million nationals. I don't know about you, but for me, it would be impossible for 21,000 migrants uh, to change the demographic characteristics of uh, 12 million people. Now, the outcome resulting from th these uh, accusations and outright racist comments uh, has been growing violence against migrants, uh, many of whom decided uh, to flee the country. Although the vast majority of the Tunisians were outraged by the president's comments, a small minority of people there engaged in vigilante action. Uh, AFP says uh, foreign students and other foreign nationals uh, with perfectly legal status uh, reported attacks almost every day. Uh, threats and violence uh, were performed by even landlords. Of course, these actions do not mirror what the brave people of Tunisia represent. Uh, this is uh, respect and dignity, and uh, these events happen very rarely. But the work of the, of the minority is more visible and more vocal than the work of the majority. But President Syed obviously did not anticipate the reaction from abroad. And here, I am not necessarily talking about African governments that expressed their outrage, but the World Bank that has suspended a new landing for Tunisia as a result of the reckless presidential comments. The head of the World Bank, David Malpass, said Syed, Syed's uh, comments uh, essentially motivated harassment and even violence. At some point in the life of a leader, it's better to remain quiet than to make noise that creates self-inflicted wounds, as we're seeing now happening in Tunisia. Tunisia needs the money to stabilize, and the World Bank is there for that. But it's not going to happen so easily. And as long as the World Bank ignores Tunisia, the North African country's request for a $2 billion loan from the International Monetary Fund may not materialize soon as well. The IMF would be very reluctant to move forward at the moment. Well, some of us, though, believe that the president sought to deflect public attention from the real problems he has themselves created. The Tunisian president has been working hard to mimic the repressive measures deployed in Algeria from the, from, from the regime to maintain its power. Uh, he has essentially destroyed all gains Tunisia has made over the past decade in politics and in human rights, from firing the government uh, in 2021 to dismantling the parliament and arresting dozens of people who do not necessarily agree with him uh, on, on a political front, all of that under the pretext of fighting corruption. This week, Ayed Sayed went further and dissolved the elected municipal councils, very important elements of democracy and governance in Tunisia. Equally worrying is the fact that Siham Ben Sadrin, the head of the former Truth and the Dignity Commission, a panel tasked with investigating abuses uh, performed by former dictators uh, had been prevented from leaving the country as the president's uh, prosecutors are alleging 
she may have falsified the report. And Sadrin faced a financial, a financial crimes judge uh, who charged her with having uh, procured unjustified advantages, harming the state and forgery, terms that uh, have been used over and over again by Algerian courts to essentially eliminate free speech and the political opposition and impose authoritarianism. For a long time, President Sayed had benefited from strong popular support and he will be getting the support of many going forward still. His interior minister, Tawfiq Sharfuddin, has joined the debate by calling the media and politicians traitors. In a speech this week, Sharfuddin equated the media, unionists, businesses and opposition figures to mercenaries who have sold the nation, urging the population to support the president. But a large portion of the population has begun to push back against Sayed's campaign of repression. Thousands of Tunisians took to the street on Sunday, this past Sunday, demanding the release of more than 20 leading political figures currently in Tunisian jails. So that's roughly what's happening in Tunisia. Not very alarming, of course. In Libya, there is a status quo of sort, but efforts by the UN envoy to organize elections has been, have been facing resistance from the Libyans themselves. The pushback against UN envoy Abdullahi Bathili comes from both rival factions of the Libyan crisis, namely the Eastern-based parliament and its rival in Tripoli in the West. Part of the problem was that Bathili has been rather vocal and critical against uh, these two factions for dragging their feet. Uh, and so they now have signaled that they may not fully endorse the Senegalese diplomat. The UN does not have great credibility these days among both rivals as it is often criticized for what the two rivals call meddling in domestic affairs. On the human rights front, all the region's governments have something to be criticized for. In Algeria, independent journalist Al-Qadi Ihsan is now on trial on charges of obtaining funds from foreign sources. In Egypt, a special court this week sentenced uh, four leading human rights activists to, for up to 15 years in prison on, on charges of terrorism. And things are happening everywhere in the region that really are a major concern on the human rights front. Still in Egypt, the country has announced that it is selling citizenship opportunities to foreign investors and set the minimum price threshold uh, to $250,000, that's US dollars, because it is the lowest in its price uh, menu or price scheme. Egypt says the $250,000 will be non-refundable. Of course, the move is another evidence of uh, a country that has gone bankrupt despite the billions of dollars it has been receiving from the likes of uh, the UAE and Saudi Arabia. As I stated in the past, a government managed by, uh, by the military is doomed to failure. This ends our roundup of uh, the week in the Sahel and, and in North Africa. And until our next episode, thank you for listening and goodbye. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast series, please visit mea-risk.com audio. That is mea-risk.com.
audiobook.com slash audio to find out more. If you are interested in a six-month trial for our critical incident awareness and notification system, please visit shield-alert.com. That is shield-alert.com. Until our next podcast, thank you and goodbye.